Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Sometimes it is just good to be still and to know that he is God. Amen. Uh, again, I want to welcome you here this morning. My name is John, one of the pastors here. Whether you are worshiping with us online, a part of our online church family, or here in the room, be still and know that I am God. And I don't know the last time that you just stopped and slowed down and had a moment of pause in your life to remind yourself, and maybe you just needed that reminder this morning, that wherever you're worshiping from today, or if you're here in the room, that whatever you're up against today, God's got it. He's got it. Whatever you're facing, he holds the whole world in his hands, and sometimes we just need to be reminded of that, that we need to be still to let God fight our battles to know that he is in control. You know, it's beyond ironic to me the way that things work oftentimes on Sunday mornings. Earlier in the week, we had chosen that video to be our little sermon intro this week, and then tornadoes hit the state of Iowa last night, and we have this video to be still and know that I am God, and maybe just a reminder to us again that whatever storms you're facing, the literal storms or the storms that rage internally in our lives, that God is with us, that he is our ever-present help, that he is our refuge, that he is our fortress, that he is our strength, the one providing for us, the one protecting us this morning. Amen? And so... Our hearts are heavy. They go out to those of you that have been affected by that. If you have friends or our family, certain those, uh, certainly those south of us, and particularly I know we have members of our church community here that are, are in the Winterset or Indianola areas and surrounding communities, and so just know that our hearts go out to you. Our hearts grieve with those that have lost loved ones or have damaged uh, homes or property or whatever that might be and are, and are picking up and are going to be picking up uh, for quite some time. But we have a God that is our refuge and strength and is with us right in the middle of the storm. Amen? So I want to start this morning, I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit and, and start with a question for you. And it's going to be a mind-boggling question. It's going to blow your mind. It's a very deep, uh, rich, deeply philosophical question. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Okay, here it goes. Where are you? Some of you are like, I don't know where this sermon's going. Where, where are you? In, in a deeper sense, I, I know where you are physically. Yes, you're here at 2500 University or worshiping online in your living room or wherever you are. Or at the top of a mountain. Last week, somebody posted in the chat, they moved out to Arizona for school and they found some friends and they were hiking and she invited 15 of her friends and they had a Hope Elam worship service online with us with 15 people in Arizona. So how cool is that? Um, so I know where you are. I know where some of you are worshiping. I know that you're here, but in a deeper sense, where are you? Not just physically, but in relationship to God this morning. Where are you? 
Reminds me, uh, just this last weekend, my wife Tiffany and I took a quick trip up to Minneapolis. We were uh, without kids for a little bit, so we've learned to enjoy what we call the windshield time. And parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, without anybody screaming or kicking in the back. And so we enjoyed that time. We went up to a concert, and it just so happens that on our way back, we were going by uh, the Mall of America. Anybody been to the Mall of America? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a fairly large mall uh, as well. And we, we went, and we were kind of scoping it out a little bit. Bit, uh, just for ourselves to go shopping, but, but scoping it out a little bit to see if we would want to bring our kids, because I hadn't been in like 10 years, and I just reminded, this place is huge, and it is like, uh, it is like Vegas for eight-year-olds. I, 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 there's no other way to describe it, and, and we get there, and the place is just like swarming with kids, and so we're like, ah, it's getting a little stuffy in here, it's getting a little crowded, there's a lot going on, a little chaotic, let's leave, and Tiffany goes, oh, there's one shop I wanted to check out. Uh, uh, before we head out, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run ahead to there. You grab some lunch, uh, some food at the food court, and then I'll meet you at Dillard's, you know, over there where we came in by the parking ramp. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know where that's at, over, over by Dillard's. Yeah, I'll meet you there. Got it. And she kind of looks at me and kind of walks away and gives me one of those looks like, okay, weirdo, like I'll see, you, uh, I'll see you in a little bit. So I get my food and I come back. I'm walking through like outside of Legoland and where like the kid zone is. And I forgot we made the mistake of going to the Mall America at 1030 on a Saturday morning. I mean, this place is just chock full of sweaty, smelly, sticky, loud six through 10 year olds. Like it was like a convention uh, for these kids and they're just everywhere. I'm like, I, I got to get out of here. I got to, I got to go find dealers. I got to. And so I eat my, my, my lunch and I stand up from my, my park bench and I look around and I go, I have no clue where I am right now. This always happens to me. Does any, this happen to you? I get lost. I couldn't find my my car in a parking lot yesterday. I just, I get lost. I have no idea where I am and I'm wandering around. And so finally I'm just like, I don't know where I am. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know where Dillard's is. It could be over there. It could be on the other side. I don't know where it is. And so I call Tiffany and the very first thing she says, you're lost, aren't you? Like, you know me so well. And she's like, okay, well, let's start with this. Where are you? What did I say? I have no idea. I have no idea where I am. She said, look for one of those big kiosks, you know, with a map of the whole thing and the big red star that says, you are here, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I, I found that. I, okay, I know where I am now. And I, I, know, I know Dillard's is that way. I still have no idea how to get there. And so I'm just wandering around. 20 or 30 minutes has gone by. I'm like, I, eventually I find her, but she actually finds me first. I'm walking down this long corridor and she comes up. She's got her phone out like this. And then she looks up and she sees me and go, she goes, oh, there you are. I'm like, how did you find me? And she's like, after 30 minutes, I gave up and I did find, find your friends on the phone and I've been stalking you for the last 30 minutes. So as you were looking for me, I was looking for you and I found you. And she said, yep, you married up. Let's go. And she walked away. <laughs> I love that woman a lot. Here's the reality. If you don't know where you are, it's really, really hard to find your direction. If you don't know where you are, it's really hard to know which direction to go, whether you're lost in the mall or you're lost in life. And so I want to pose that question again to you. Where are you? Not maybe just in a physical sense, but where are you this morning in your relationship with God? Are you aimlessly wandering around? Are you feeling a little lost this morning like I was? Are you disconnected from God? Are you still kind of shaking off the, the COVID cobwebs a little bit as you're getting re-engaged and coming back? Or maybe you're brand new and you're checking things out and you're new on this journey of faith or you're new here to Hope Elam? 
Or maybe you're feeling really close and connected with God this morning or wherever you're at, know this, that not just my wife was looking for me, but there's a God that comes looking for us. And even when you don't know where you are, he knows exactly where you are. And by that, I mean he knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows the fears and the anxiety. He knows the burdens. He knows the complexities and the messiness of your life that you walked in here with this morning. And yet we have a God that doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in our hiding. He doesn't lead us in our wandering or not knowing where we are. We have a God that comes after us. And you have a God that has been pursuing you since the day that you were born. Even if you don't know where you are, he knows exactly where you are. And that has actually been going on since the beginning of time. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 3, or you have your Bible app on your phone, Genesis chapter 3, which is conveniently located at the beginning of your Bible. We are literally going to start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, and you may remember the story pretty well, but we're going to skip ahead a couple chapters from creation and just jump right into the story, plop down right in the middle of chapter 3, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden among the trees. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called out to the man. What's the question? Where are you? We've heard that somewhere before, right? Where are you? Wait a minute. Something has gone terribly wrong in this story. This is supposed to be paradise. This is the story of perfection and creation and paradise. Something has gone wrong. Something is broken. Something is missing here. So to refresh our memory, God has not only created Adam and Eve, but he's placed them in paradise. He's given them authority and command over the world that they're walking through. And we, we often forget about the story of Genesis is that when I say Adam and Eve, some of you automatically assumed where this sermon was going. Because when you hear Adam and Eve, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Sin, right? The fruit, the forbidden, forbidden fruit, paradise, and the, the fall and temptation and the serpent and Adam and Eve and all of that. But what we forget is that their story, this story, our story does not start with sin. Our story does not start with brokenness. Our story does not start with with global wars or a pandemic or tornadoes. Our story doesn't start with disaster and brokenness. Our story starts with perfection, and it starts with intimacy with God. And the Lord God was walking in the garden. That means that Adam and Eve, that you and I were designed to walk with God in a conversational way intimacy. That's how the story starts. But as we know, in Genesis chapter 3, our story takes a fateful turn. In chapter 3, the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve to second-guess their trust in God. And we read in verse 6 of chapter 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And some of the guys are out there sitting right now going, see, told you, it was the woman's fault every single time she did it. You didn't read the rest of the verse there, chief, all right? She also gave some to her husband, who was where? Right there, standing right there. So men, when we challenge you to resist passivity in your life, the reason we do that is because it's inside every single one of us. Do you ever feel that, guys? I know what I should do, I know I should pursue my wife. I I, I know I should step up. I know I should lead spiritually. I know I should follow Jesus with all my heart. I just don't want to. There's a little bit of Adam in all of us in that 
passivity, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The story of Genesis chapter 3 is not that it happened, it's that it happens. And we feel the effects of that rebellion against God and that brokenness. It's not, the story of Genesis 3 is not that two people ate a piece of fruit. The story of Genesis 3 is that that perfect intimacy and trust and vulnerability that was there that existed with God is now broken. And the shock waves of that broken relationship go through every single aspect of creation. And if there was a week in our world, in our state, in our city, that I don't need to convince you of that, it's today. Amen? We're feeling the effects of Genesis 3. They've rebelled. You ever get that feeling that the world is falling apart? (laughs) What is our world coming to? It's because we feel like Eden. We feel that. It's inside of us. And fear enters the world. And lies and shame and blame now enter the story. And what do Adam and Eve do when that brokenness enters the story, they hide. They hide. We read this at verse 7, chapter 3. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. We forget is that earlier in the story, in fact, if you go back a slide, that's my fault, I skipped over that. Go ahead and go back a slide. In chapter 2, notice this. Adam and his wife were both naked. Don't get distracted by the naked part. Focus on this part. And they felt no shame. This isn't taboo. This was normal. Because up until this moment in chapter 3, there was no concept of hiding. There was no need to hide anything from God. Now, go ahead to the next slide, to Genesis chapter 3, and when we read that they, they ate it, and now go ahead to the next verse, the story continues, they hid. They suddenly felt shame. And there comes God, verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, some people get all tripped up by that, and they're like, why is God asking where Adam, he's God. Like, doesn't he have amazing binoculars or x-ray video? Is this a giant game of hide and seek in the Garden of Eden? Like, what's going on? God is God. He knows exactly where Adam is, right? What he's saying is, Adam, where are you and your wife in relationship to me? In fact, I'm, I'm right next to you, and yet it feels like there's this huge divide between us. Husbands, wives, you ever get in an argument and you have to, like, live in the same house And it feels like there's three miles between you, even though there's seven feet. Sit on the other end of the couch. I don't like you right now, right? You're physically close, but spiritually far apart. There's something between you. Where are you and your wife in relationship to me? It's almost like God is asking Adam, what is it, you guys, all of a sudden, that you feel like you can't trust me with? And that seed of doubt is the very thing that you and I struggle with today. We hide. God says, what is it that you don't feel like you can bring to me? And we all hide. We all hide, not in gardens, but we all hide in all sorts of places. Some of us are hiding today in the the weight of our sin or our guilt or our shame. Certainly we focus on that during this Lenten season, but whether it's two years ago or two weeks ago or two days ago, 
You did something or something happened to you or whatever it is, and you are just holding it inside because you do not want to expose yourself before God or let alone anybody at church find out what I did. And so we stay away, we run away from God, we run away from the church, we run away from community, and what we forget is that God already sees it. God sees it. Even we try to hide it, God already sees the deepest, darkest sin and darkness and brokenness in our lives. He knows you, he sees everything already, but yet we try to hide it. Some of us, it's not the, the sin and the guilt that we're wrestling with today. It's the fear and the anxiety we're, we're, of everything in the world around us. We're watching images come in of the destruction of these tornadoes. We're watching images come in from Ukraine and, and all these border crossings. This is a humanitarian crisis on our hands. And maybe you're a little bit like me and you're just like, my heart can't take it. Like, I can't, I can only consume so much more news. Because my heart just breaks. And we feel it. I was out playing with our kids in our front yard the other day. I was playing catch with Caleb with the football. And Evie was down on the sidewalk doing her sidewalk chalk that she normally does. And I'm sure that they're hearing these things at school. And other kids are talking about everything going on in Ukraine. And just out of the blue, she says, hey, daddy, I got a question for you. Normally, it's about puppies or unicorns or something. And she said, hey, daddy, just out of the blue. Why do some people from another country hurt people from another country and don't let them live in their homes anymore? Six. Pastors and preachers aren't normally speechless, but I was, because what she needs in that moment is not a theological dissertation on the sin and the brokenness of our world. What she needs is a daddy that looks at her and says, man, honey, I wish I knew and I said, I wish I knew, honey, I don't, I don't fully understand. She didn't say anything more, and I could tell that her little wheels and her mind and her heart are just spinning, and she proceeds on her own right in front of the Annenson house to make a giant heart with the colors of Ukraine. Six, my heart just can't take it. And yet some of you are feeling that you feel like you have to carry the weight of the world on the, the brokenness that surrounds us, and you're hiding. For some of us, it's not the fear and anxiety that's out there. It's what lives inside of you. It's the, 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 the anxiety, the grief, maybe the depression that some of you feel. And, and speaking of that, we did a sermon at all of our campuses a couple weeks ago as a part of our Taking Care of You sermon series about the importance of mental health. And just kind of expose that and open that up and, 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 and define that a little bit more and how our faith relates to that. And I, can not, I just can't tell you how incredible and overwhelming the response has been to that. If you missed it, you can hop watch any of the sermons on YouTube. But we talked about this, and I had no idea. We've talked about some heavy topics over the last couple of years, but I cannot think of another sermon. We've had that much feedback, and we're still going through it, and, and calls and emails and texts and, and referrals and getting people connected with counselors and all of that. And I want you to hear me say, praise God for that. That's a good thing. Um, we, um, I get excited about that in, in, a, in a heavy sort of way because I feel like as a church we took one big step, maybe a first step of which will be many of defining that 
to say that there's a place for you here and that you can bring your whole self here, that there is an intimate connection between our mental health and our spiritual health, and that this can be a place where it's okay to not be okay and that you don't have to be in hiding, that there's a God that loves you and a church that loves you, that we took one big step to say it is okay to reach out and get help. Amen? So that's, I was excited about that response. But yet I'm also aware that one sermon isn't going to make all that go away. Like this is a real issue in our city, in our state. And so we have to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it more because of the response, the overwhelming response that we got. But for some of you, you're still there. And you still feel like you have to hide large parts of yourself because you're wrestling with those things that might be a little taboo to talk about in church. And you know you're not experiencing the life that Jesus has for you. And we hide a lot in all sorts of places. And for some of you, it's a little bit more subtle than that. It's not any of those things. It's not sin. It's not guilt. It's not anxiety or depression. Some of you are just hiding in apathy, to be honest, in indifference. You're coming back maybe after COVID and you're figuring out where you fit and everything. And some of us are just going through the motions. We're just a little indifferent. We're not in the game. We're just kind of coming in and watching everything and, and consuming. It's just another way of hiding it's, it's, not, it's not walking with Jesus. It's not having that intimate connection with him. We're just kind of consuming and going through the motions. Well, you got to know this today. No matter where you are hiding, I believe in our heart of hearts, every single one of us wants to be found. Every single one of us longs to be found, to start living and not just coping. Some of you think that your coping is living. Some of you have defined the abundant life that Jesus offers as just getting by as just coping and putting a band-aid on all of these things that we're talking about. Jesus wants you to experience that abundant life. And what we need, just like Adam and Eve, is the voice of our Father calling us out, saying, it's time to come out of hiding. I have something so much better for you. I have a better way. I I, I have a deeper truth. I have a more abundant life. The voice of your Father is calling out to you today. I can't dig into Genesis chapter 3 without remembering a story from my childhood. Well, it turns out my knack for getting lost uh, started at a very young age, not just last weekend. Uh, But I remember this distinctly. I'm a third-generation pastor's kid. And so uh, pastor's kids are born with a unique sense and a knack for dominating hide-and-seek. Because we grow up in these big old church buildings. And so uh, when I was growing up, I was in fifth grade. And my parents tell me this story uh, and remind me uh, of this. And they, they tell it better than I do. But I was in fifth grade and we were, had youth group. Uh, and the last thing we were doing in youth group, there's about 15 or 20 of us. Our youth director says, we're going to tr- do this big game of hide and seek. Well, when you're a pastor's kid, you know every nook and cranny of that. I grew up in a big church like this. And I tell my kids, we are never playing hide-and-seek in this building because I'm never going to find you. <laughs> but you have no idea how spoiled you are to grow up in a church like this. And so the youth director says, you can go on this level or this level. I'm like, I am, I'm just giddy inside. I, I am going to dominate hide-and-seek in my fifth-grade mind. And so what I do is I go down to the lower-level kitchen in the church, and way back in the corner by the big, huge dishwasher is there is a, is a sink with a little used sink and kitchen area and a cabinet, and I climb underneath the sink, like under where the garbage, where the garbage disposal is, and I shimmy in there, and I curl up in a little ball, and there I hid, not knowing it for the next two hours. 
I kid you not, I am not exaggerating that. The game was supposed to take 10 minutes. You have five minutes to hide, and then we're going to wrap up youth group. And I didn't know this, but 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, 30 minutes gone by, and I start hearing my name. Like, people are calling out to me like, okay, um, youth group is wrapping up. Like, my youth director and all the kids, Jonathan, like, the game's over. Come on out. I'm like, I'm not falling for the old game's over trick. I am winning hide and seek. I'm going to dominate this game. This is what I was born for. This moment. I'm not coming out. And I didn't know, but everybody went home. And the youth director called my parents and said, um, Pastor Anderson, I lost your kid. I don't know where he is. He was here for youth group. And my parents were, th- they came over, they looked, my brother, all the youth group kids, some of them came back. We can't find Jonathan. My dad was this close to calling the police. Like he was so, they were going to set up a perimeter. I mean, they... Where is this kid, right? So I'm not losing this game. I didn't know two hours had gone by since the start of the game. And there's this search party out. And they're walking like, my dad's not going to call the police. I'm going to take one more sweep through the building. He's walking down. And all of a sudden, from underneath the garbage disposal, I hear, Jonathan. I'm like, oh, boy. Whatever I said in my fifth grade mind. Come out. The game is over. And like this little guy, I peek out this little hole and I pop out. And there's just this audible gasp of frustration and anxiety. And my parents are just like, do you know like what you've put us through? And like all the kids are like, whoa, this is amazing. And youth director is like, I still have a job and, and all of this. And they didn't lose the pastor's kid. And they're all freaking out. And I pop out from behind the door and I go, first thing I say, did I win? That's what I say. Don't, don't dare me to play hide-and-seek in this church with you. There is a time to hide, and there is a time to be found. There is a time to be found. And for some of you, that day is today. God says, come out. He calls you by name. There was something inside of me that I heard all the other voices, but when I heard the voice of my father saying, it's time to come out, it's time to come out, I knew. And I responded to the voice of my father. That is the opposite of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. God calls out to Adam, and Adam says, when I heard your voice in the garden, I hid. And we all hide in our different ways. And there's a lot of different ways to come out of hiding. God says, it's that simple. I want you to come out and be with me, says my Father, says our Heavenly Father. I want you to come out of hiding wherever you're hiding this morning and come and be with me. The problem is, is that you and I try to do it on our own. We live in an individualistic society and we've forgotten it's not about us and it's not about our own strength and it's not about our own abilities and so we go to all these different fixes to try to get out of hiding on our own. I call them the isms, the ways we cope when the world feels overwhelming, when our sin, when our guilt, when our anxiety feels overwhelming. Optimism, moralism, and cynicism. It's the isms that get in the way. First of all, the optimism, and that seems innocent enough. Some of you are like, well, isn't that a good thing? The problem is when we're facing things like global pandemics and on the verge of World War III and tornadoes ripping through our state and the mental health issues that you struggle with inside, and and, and very well-meaning, good-intentioned Christians come up and say, come on, just be a little bit more optimistic. I mean, you know, Jesus, it's just the power of positive thinking. Just get yourself there. Just cheer up. Everything's going to be okay. Be a little bit more optimistic. What those people that had their houses ripped to shreds in Winterset yesterday, what they don't need 
is the power of positive thinking. What they need is a savior who is there with them in the middle of the storm, the only one that can provide and rescue them, amen? That's what we need in those moments. And the problem with optimism is that it works for about a week and a half. And then you realize it's not enough because it's still about me and my abilities. It's still about me and my ability to mentally get there. No, we need something more than that. So a lot of well-intentioned, good-meaning Christians say, oh, I know what it is. Jesus wants me to be a really good person. How many times have you heard that? How many times have I heard that at a funeral service? Oh, Bill, he was a really, really good guy. So glad he's with Jesus. He was a great guy. And my pastor spidey sense is just going off in the back going, it's not about that. And thank God that it's not about that. But we want to make life about how good we are. What's the definition of moralism? It's doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And a lot of us live our entire adult Christian lives trying to, to fix ourselves, trying to get out of hiding and find Jesus on our own, on our own strength, on our own goodness. And so we start good habits and we have all these goals and we want to read our Bible more, pray more, be a better Christian and come to worship more often and all of that. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. We're just doing it for all the wrong reasons to try to impress God or to somehow feel spiritually superior to other people. We get it all convoluted in our heads. What we do is that a lot of Christians live life with an imaginary ladder that they're carrying around with them. And that what that ladder is, is we believe that somehow with my performance, I can keep climbing up that ladder and somehow God's sitting at the top of that ladder. And if I can just do a few more good things and be a really good, nice person and do all these things to impress God, then he'll love me more. And i got to climb my way up to God. That is every other world religion that has ever existed. There is one religion, there is one relationship, better said, besides all of those, where the God comes down to us instead of us working our way up to God, and it's Christianity. It's following Jesus. Praise God for that, that it's not about us. And there's some really good news for those of you that are exhausted of trying to be good enough, exhausted of trying to earn the love that God already has for you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, go ahead and go to the next slide, he says this, God saved you by his grace. Let's read it together. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Tell them that this morning. It's not about you. Thank God that it's not. As we are busy climbing the ladder, I, I love this quote by um, author John Orberg. He says this, the problem with spending your life climbing up the ladder is that you'll go right past Jesus for he's coming down to you. I don't know, maybe it's just any other Enneagram nerds out there. Maybe it's just my Enneagram 3, but this is really hard for me. Because I've spent so much of my life endlessly, needlessly trying to scale that ladder. And Jesus says, I'm already here. I, Jesus says, I, I, I see you in your hiding, in your brokenness this morning. You, I don't even need a GPS. <laughs> I know exactly where you are. I'm coming down the ladder to you. Some of us, okay, it's, it's not about that, but I'm just tired of trying, trying of putting myself out there. I'm trying to get, tired of getting my heart broken. I'm tired of getting my hopes up. And so if it's not optimism, it's not moralism, then we just become cynics. 
then we just become bitter. We turn to that last ism and we just become cynical. I'm tired of getting my hopes up. The world is falling apart. Can't you see it? Everything's broken. Everything's messed up. I got all these issues in my life. And so I'm just going to give up hope. Why even keep the hope? Because hope is what keeps us alive. And what you tether your hope to is going to define how your life ends. It's going to define how every day goes for you. If your hope is tethered to the up and down roller coaster circumstances of this life, you're never going to find it. But if you tether your hope to Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you will have a peace in the middle of literal storms and any storm that this life could throw at you. You can know the peace that surpasses all understanding. Put your hope in Jesus. Furthermore, the cynical life is exhausting. I'd much rather ride with Jesus than the constant up and down roller coaster of life. I want the peace that only Jesus can give. There's got to be a better way. It's not optimism. It's not moralism. It's not cynicism. It's the voice of your father calling out to you as he did Adam and Eve, calling out to me when I was hiding under the sink. Wherever you're hiding, it's time to come home. It's time to come out wherever you're hiding. Come and be with me. That's it. <laughs> come and be with me. That's, that's the invitation of Jesus this Lenten season. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll take this season of Lent, this 40 days leading up to Easter, and it's dangerous because instead of just coming out of hiding, we say, well, Jesus, here's my ladder. And we bring out that ladder during Lent and we think that, oh, now here's the season and even culturally outside the church, here's all these things I'm going to do for you, Jesus. I'm going I'm to give up all these things for you. I'm going to give up chocolate and social media and caffeine. I, every year around this time, I give up something for Lent because it coincides with March Madness. Every year around this time, I give up on the Hawkeyes making it out of the first round of the tournament. <laughs> struggling with my cynicism, if you can't tell as a Hawkeye fan, but if you're there, you feel me. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, and all that stuff is good. My question to you this Lent is you're giving stuff up, and you're doing all these things for Jesus. Why? Are you doing it to feel better about yourself? Are you doing it as a list of self-help? Are you doing it to climb the ladder? Are you doing it so that you can fall more in love with Jesus and let him love you? Sometimes I think that when I get going on the ladder of my own performance, I think that God comes up to me every Lenten season and goes, I never asked you to give up caffeine. I asked you to surrender your life. I want all of you. You can do all that stuff on the outside and look really good on the outside. I'm really concerned about your heart. I want you to get off the ladder. I want you to come out of hiding. I don't want you to do Lent and miss Jesus because you can do that. And a lot of people in our world and our culture do. I don't want you to do Lent and miss Jesus. You don't have to go on the ladder and you can come out of hiding. You don't have to live in, in moralism or cynicism or just blind optimism. The invitation of Jesus is come be with me. The invitation of Lent is to hear the voice of the Father, to come out of hiding and come be with me. What we forget about the story of Genesis chapter 3 is that in our brokenness, in our worst moment, even in our rebellion against God, who was already pursuing us? The God that loves you, the God that created you, the God that knows everything about you today. He is already pursuing you. He is already devising an on a rescue plan. Adam, where are you? 
We had this connection, and he asks you that on this first Sunday of Lent. Where are you? You were created to be in a relationship with me. You don't have to hide any longer. I've been pursuing you since the day you were born, and I'm never going to stop. Regardless of you getting apathetic or indifferent towards me, if you've been away from church for a long time, you will never be more loved than you are right now. I've been pursuing you. God doesn't stop pursuing us. Come be with me. Not cheer up, not try harder, but come be with me. A lot of times in Lent, it's Jesus plus. If I can confess in a certain way and repent in a certain way and feel terrible about myself and do all these things. I saw this quote this week from Sally Lloyd-Jones. Parents, if you're looking for an awesome Bible for your kids, she writes the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's absolutely beautiful. She was interviewed on a podcast and said this about Lent. She said, Lent is often seen as a time for repentance. It's good. She says, mostly what I'm repenting of is my resistance and my defense against being loved by God. Man, don't be so busy giving up things for Lent that you miss the one thing that God is asking you. Let me love you. It's really not complicated. It's very, very simple, and that message is very, very clear today. That's the heartbeat of this series that we're kicking off. Come out of hiding and walk with Jesus. This series, A Deeper Walk with Jesus, and this is just kind of an introduction to it today. Some of you are like, A Deeper Walk with Jesus? Why have we been in Genesis the whole time? Because here's the reality. You can't walk with Jesus if you're hiding. You can't live the abundant life that Jesus has for you if you're caught in your sin, if you're caught in your guilt, if you're caught in your shame, if you're caught in your anxiety, if you're hiding, you can't walk with Jesus. And he says, I've got a better way. I've got a deeper truth. And I've got a more abundant life for you. So come follow me. For those of you hiding in your guilt and your shame, come out. It's already been taken care of. Jesus has already paid that price on the cross. For those of you that are struggling with fear or anxiety or whatever it is, be reminded of this from 1 Peter chapter 5. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. One of the disciplines that I'm working on this Lent is that every time anxiety or fear pops up, I turn it into a prayer. I said it two weeks ago. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, take that anxiety when it bubbles up. Don't go down that spiral. Say, I'm just going to turn this into a prayer. I'm going to stop right there in my car, in my house, dropping the kids off, wherever I am, I'm going to turn it into prayer, challenging myself with that. And finally, in our fear and the chaos of this world, it is important to remember, there is no dictator, there is no president, there is no national leader, there is no world power, there is no nation that is bigger or stronger that is going to last longer than the kingdom of God. Amen? We don't have to let fear get its hooks in us. You can come out of hiding and follow Jesus. And where do you find all of that? The ability to do that? Walk with Jesus. Be with Jesus. And a lot of times Lent is seen as, I'm just going to sit around and navel gaze and just think about how I can be a, a better person. And I call it the gospel of sin management. Well, I didn't do as bad of a job this week. I was a little bit better Christian this week, or I'm not as bad as them, or I'm, I'm a little bit better than them, but they're better than me. It's sin management. It's not the gospel. What if this Lent, we stop navel-gazing and turning inside, and what if we set our sights up? 
Not just looking down, but looking up to God and looking to the needs of others. We do that in these four words that we say around here all the time. Worship, connect, grow, and serve. They're right out of God's word. This is what it means to have a deeper walk with Jesus. First of all, to worship. Why? Because, well, we were created for it. This past Wednesday, we had our Ash Wednesday service. And I, I love Ash Wednesday, but nothing could have prepared me for this. I saw more of you that came up, and I, I saw you. At, I haven't seen you in over two years. And a lot of times when people come up, and they haven't been to church in a long time, they come up to the pastor, and they're kind of like, hey, you know, we had this going on, you know, COVID, and I had this thing with my family, and this, I just found myself going, it doesn't really matter anymore. I'm just so glad that you're here. Like, I was overwhelmed with emotion. And I feel like God wants to say that to you today. If it's your first time here, if you have been away for a long time, God says, let's not talk about the past anymore. I'm so glad that you're in my house today. You're my child. I'm so glad that you're here. And you can do this every week. And as you did at the beginning of this service, I stood up on Ash Wednesday and announced that we're going to have communion, that you're going to come forward for the first time in over two years. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, communion got an ovation. I mean... There's something about being here. There's something about being a part of it, not just worshiping, but, but connecting. In the month of February, we did this small groups kickoff. We said after worship on Wednesday nights, you can come down, and we're just going to have open groups for everybody. I didn't know if three people were going to show up or what. Over 80 people showed up the first night, and you just keep coming back for the last five or six weeks. So much so, yeah, praise God. So much so that I talked to the leaders, and like, yeah, let's just keep right on going. So we're just going to do it all the way through the season of Lent in March and April. If you're looking to get connected with the group, any Wednesday night you can come and plug in. And here's the thing, you just won't stop talking. I go in there, the thing's supposed to end at 8, and you're just talking, and you keep going, and I go to Alpha, and the groups won't stop talking. And I go to these men's ministry and women's ministry. Nobody wants to go home. Everybody just keeps talking, and we go way past the time it's supposed to end. You found something. It's like somehow we forgot or we took for granted the last two years. Community is essential to the Christian life, and we're just realizing that again now. Worship, connect, grow. You heard about these Lenten devotionals online or here, hard copy. You can pick them up on the way out today. This is my challenge. I don't want you to get to Easter and know about Jesus. I want you to get to Easter and know Jesus. Worship, connect, grow, stay connected, and last but not least, serve. And this one's a no-brainer. There are certain times when it feels like the church maybe shrinks back in fear. This is not one of those times. We have a humanitarian crisis on our hands, and two weeks ago, we were planning on doing a Lent project with a completely different organization, and we called them, and they completely understood, and we need to do a 180. We need to do a pivot. And so we connected with our national and global mission partner, Convoy of Hope, that is already on the ground in Poland and other countries around where there's going to be now over a million refugees flooding out of the country of Ukraine. And we're going to partner with them. We've already spent, sent $50,000 over to help them on the ground right now in Poland. And so I want you to take a look at this quick video. Sometimes what you see on the news is, is there for the shock factor. Sometimes you just need to put a face with a story and why what we're doing with Convoy of Hope this Lent matters. Take a look. It's really important to remember that refugee is something that happens to you, not who you are. Every single one of these men, women, and children is a child 
that is loved by God, no less than your own, that you could call maybe right after the service and tell them that you love them and not take that for granted. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 25, then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or naked and give you clothing? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you were doing it to me. I don't know, I watch things like that and I just, I don't think I'm going to be doing a lot of complaining on Facebook about rising gas prices. I think there's more important things that we as the church could be focusing on. That we could be the hands and feet of Jesus. And um, I just have a feeling that if Jesus was walking the earth again today, I think he'd be at the, the border crossing near Poland. Weeping with people and feeding kids that haven't eaten in a few days. Putting their arm around moms that just left their husbands behind and left with their family to fight behind them and being with them. And here's the good news. It's not like as if Jesus was there. He is absolutely right there in the middle of the mess and through Convoy of Hope. Maybe we, you and I can't be there physically, but we can support them and we can make a difference. And here's the thing. The world has come to us, Hope Elam, and I want you to be a part of that, and I want you to take part in our Lenten project with Convoy of Hope. It just so happens that our Advent project was supporting hundreds of Afghan refugees that arrived here during the season of Advent, and that hasn't stopped either. The world has come to us, so you don't have to go across the globe to make a difference. You can walk down the street four blocks to Lutheran Services of Iowa and volunteer and say, I'm here to help. I'm here to do whatever I can, because our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they've come here or they're on the other side of the world, they deserve to know that there's hope. They deserve to know that there's a light that shines in the darkness, and we can do that. This Lent, what if having a deeper walk with Jesus isn't a spiritual self-help list? What if a deeper walk with Jesus is having our hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks for? What if having a deeper walk where Jesus is worshiping and connecting and growing and serving? Who is God calling you to invite to say, come sit with me? You need to, you need to be a part of a community. You need, you need to come experience the love of Jesus at my church. Who is God calling you to invite? Where is God calling you to serve? Where is God calling you to meet a need? Where is God calling you to shine a light in the darkness of your workplace or with a friend or a family member that needs to know that there's hope? You can start today. You don't have to go to Ukraine, but we can support convoy of hope you can support refugees right here in our community worship connect grow serve we need you to come out of hiding because it's time to be the church amen <laughs> wherever you are worshiping from this morning online or in the room let's stand together as we prepare our hearts for holy communion Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.